Hello, and welcome to For Your Listening Pleasure, a podcast focused on talking with interesting and diverse individuals and discussing how their backgrounds shape them into the people they are today. I am your host, Mallory Waxman. Today on the podcast, I'm excited to be welcoming Barry Coral. Barry is a beloved children's recording artist and an internationally recognized yogi. After a 10-year battle with stress and anxiety, Barry has dedicated her life to educating others about the powerful tools she discovered. She has presented on the benefits of yoga and mindfulness to over 100,000 teachers and has been a keynote speaker at the nation's top educational conferences. Barry has performed numerous times at the White House and has been featured in People Magazine and the New York Times. Listeners, before we dive into today's episode, I want to let you know about For Your Listening Pleasure's first collaboration. One of the podcast goals is to raise awareness about various nonprofits and organizations doing good in the world. I always ask each podcast guest if they are part of a particular nonprofit or if there's a specific organization that they support. I have a running list and I hope that one day I will be able to raise awareness and give to each of them. I am excited to announce my first collaboration with the Street artist wordsmith together we designed a sweatshirt that you're now able to purchase and all proceeds will be going to pause chicago and pets for vets make sure to listen to each of their mini episodes to learn more about what each organization does and where the funds will go I'm also happy to inform listeners that under the podcast umbrella, I have started my own charitable organization called For Your Charitable Pleasure to ensure that all funds now and in the future go towards organizations making a difference in the world. I'm so excited about this collaboration that I personally will be donating $2 for every Instagram repost with the hope of raising awareness around these two outstanding organizations. All you need to do is follow the podcast on Instagram, tag For Your Listening Pleasure, and include the link to purchase in the repost. Additional information, including social media usernames and purchase links, can be found in this episode's show notes. One last thing, Wordsmith, also known as Brody, I thank you for your partnership on this. You were gracious enough to respond to my email and agree to come on the podcast. Thank you for dedicating your time and talent to this collaboration, and thank you for helping support two incredibly impactful organizations. And to my loyal listeners, thank you for listening to the podcast week after week, and I hope you enjoy this episode. So Barry, thank you so much for joining me today. For those listeners who might not know who you are, would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. My name is Barry Coral, and I'm a kids yogi and recording artist and a lot of kitties and teachers and parents um, use my songs for fun um, and especially for kids yoga. I have a big YouTube channel, Barry Coral, with a lot of fun kids yoga and mindfulness uh, music videos. And um, I just make yoga and mindfulness very fun for everyone and um, work with lots of teachers just trying to save the world one person, district, family at a time, state at a time now. I'm starting to work with like literally states, (laughs) but we definitely need it. Yeah. Just glad to be doing the work that I'm doing. And I suffered for a long time with anxiety. And so, you know, they say the best teachers, the people that have suffered are the best teachers. And I'm a really good teacher. So I've always heard the, <laughs> it's good to shoot, shoot out on the other side. Yes. I've always heard this, uh, the term me search is research. So it's like you kind of end up going into whatever you have had personal experience with or you've suffered from to try to help others going through it. And I know you mentioned when we talked previously that you in your late twenties had crippling anxiety and just didn't really know what to do if there, if it would get better and it paralyzed you for almost seven years. Um, can you talk about that period in your life? Yeah. It actually came on pretty suddenly, which was triply scary, I suppose. And back then, you know, I'm 53 and this was, I was in my twenties. So we were like, just graduated from Syracuse university. So like 91, 92, 93, 1993. 
there wasn't a lot of language around this stuff. I didn't even know I had anxiety. I didn't even know I was having panic attacks. Like I didn't even have like a name for it. I just had all these sensations and I thought I was just going crazy. Like I just had really no, um, no idea. And I always say that I, I went to the best schools and, and nobody taught me anything about managing my nervous system. And it's extraordinary where we are now. Um, when I think about where I was then, it was a very dark, alone time. Um, I mean, it was it almost felt like the Middle Ages compared to we, where we are right now because we just really had so few language. It was certainly wasn't like a yoga studio on every corner or anything like that. There was no mental health, wellness, movement. It's just nothing. So it was um, very, very scary, um, dangerous, scary, truthfully. And I was really on a self um, without really any, uh, any help. I was on this search to try to figure out what was wrong with me. And um, I spent, which I think was intelligent of me, instead of trying to figure out like the root causes of everything all the time, I, I immediately started to eventually, I started to work on the solutions to the anxiety. And that gave me the platform and like, you know, I could, I could leave my house now. (laughs) So now I could maybe start to understand a little bit more about, you know, what was, what was causing, but, but in that, in those moments to survive, I really just needed, um, I needed to, you know, ways to like get through the day. So I don't remember what your original, you know, uh, question was, but it's funny because I, I haven't been, you know, in my work right now, I don't spend too much time talking about it. I'm just very solutions oriented, but yes, I got into this work because of what happened to me for sure. Well, I appreciate you talking about it with me because I think that we all go through those periods, especially I would say in your Mid like your 20s and 30s where stuff starts to creep in and am I doing this right? Am I on the right timeline? A lot of comparison. Oh, I graduated college. I'm not where I thought I was going to be or I just turned 30 and I'm not where I'm going to be. And we put so much pressure on ourselves. And as a result, I know I've been very open with listeners. I went through a pretty bad bout of depression last summer and for about like nine months and realized this isn't right. I don't feel right, but how do I fix it? What do I do? And you don't, you're not motivated. You don't feel like yourself. And then you get mad that you know, you're capable of keeping up with minimal exercises, but you just can't do it with anxiety. How did you start building those blocks back? Or what was that trigger in your mind that made you be like, okay, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel, or I think there might be a light. Well, thank you for sharing. You know, I'm curious how you got out of um, what you're in, but I think that I, I, you know, at some point I just became a really good friend to myself, you know, almost like future me sort of showed up and was like, Hey, I'm gonna, there's a, there's a, an eat, pray, love. There's um, a scene where Elizabeth Gilbert is like on the floor and she just, and there's like a voice that says to her, like, just get off the floor, Liz. And it's almost like that future at the end of the book, she's like, I'm wondering if that future me was like, just get off the floor, you know? And there was some guidance more to like, be a friend to myself, like, you know what I mean? More to like, instead of blaming myself for this, and that was probably the biggest difference. um, I accepted that I had anxiety, you know? And, um, And so starting to become like a friend to myself, was really helpful, sort of like we maybe deserve to be happy. You know, maybe we've suffered enough. Maybe we became sort of like a we. Um, maybe we can make things easier for ourselves. Maybe we can give ourselves a break. Maybe we can, you know. So I, I was, you know, just like I, I had my insurance, which was like barely covered any kind of mental wellness. And I was, you know, do going to like psychiatrists or whoever the heck, not psychiatrists, but they couldn't help me. Like they were just so not, they didn't, and they would never admit that they couldn't help me. It was really, and I remember 
one really defeating session and then going out for Indian food. And there was more wisdom in the quotes on the menu than there was in this guy's office, you know? And I thought like, you know, I remember like that sort of cracked a little something open, like we deserve to figure this out, right? So the friendship um, was really pivotal. And, and once you're friends with yourself and, and you stop blaming yourself for everything that's going on, then, then things can get interesting. So of course the universe is a very friendly place. I always say that when you figure out what you need, the universe shows, shows up. So of course, after suffering for flipping years, somebody mentions cognitive behavioral therapy to me, which I had never heard of before. I didn't know what CBT was. And um, I went in that guy's office and it was like all these statistics about people that suffer from anxiety and from panic attacks and all the symptoms. And it was like the first time where I felt like I wasn't a crazy person. And in 10 weeks, that guy helped me put my life back together. Um, or, you know, I made a new friend who gave me the iPod and I always talk about the iPod and it was loaded with Eckhart Tolle and Wayne Dyer and Abraham Hicks and Louise Hay and, you know, and I was slowly, um, without me really understanding until maybe like Joe Dispenza or whatever, I was like rewiring my brain. So I was rewiring from a fear brain to a growing expansion brain. And I have since learned, and nobody had to tell me this. It's so funny. Like I, I heard it, but I was like, you know, I'm not, I've never really been a science nerd, but now I understand the science backing up my own experience that the amygdala, which is the same part of you that is, um, you know, part of your fight or flight and your protector can also be trained to look for opportunities. And it was like, I was retraining my amygdala to become an opportunity magnet. And if I tell, you know, that, you know, it's a lot of power to make yourself anxious all the time. So if you channel that power and now you're looking for opportunities with it, uh, it just became very interesting. And just one thing after another, just, I've just had an extraordinary life. Um, and uh, that was, it was that turn that really. That, that's so interesting. I never knew that about the Magnola. So thank you for sharing that. Cause that makes sense now when you start to think about it. I know over the summer, I, I'm a big walker. I like to listen to Audible and different books. And that's kind of how I started to get through what I was going through as I was reading or listening to a lot of books, getting vitamin D, moving my body, but I was listening. And, you know, if I liked a line or a phrase, I would write in my notes and then that would turn into a mantra that I would look at and say over and over again. And as I kind of started building out these habits, retraining your brain, and you hear that term a lot. And I think that as adults, we think that's not possible, but it is. And it's oh, so, yeah. it works so much. And that helps a lot with mindfulness, which is kind of where you ended up now. How did you start your journey into really focusing more not only on children, but working with mindfulness and yoga as well? So it was a really sort of easy timeline. You know, I was a musician that's where the panic attack started. And I was um, an adult singer songwriter. So I was really trying to become a, you know, great, a great songwriter. It was always about the song. And um, the panic attack started when I thought I couldn't do it or I, I wasn't good enough or I was too late or you know, this life that I wanted was never gonna be possible or you know, whatever the heck I talked myself into. But so I was a musician first and then I learned yoga to mostly heal my nervous system. I mean, that's really what, what it was about. So I would say like music was what I did, but like yoga was who I am. And a lot of my friends were yoga teachers. I just like being part of that community um, almost probably more than musicians because musicians were very competitive and, and actually so were yoga teachers. <laughs> a friend of mine once said, some of the meanest people I know are yoga teachers. So I was actually... But like noticing some musicians, they were like turning from the clubs into like yoga teachers. And I was like, oh God, this is another way to get attention. But I was very, I, my antenna was really up about that because 
but even even those kind of teachers sometimes the information is still really strong you know you're still using your body in the forward bending and the back bending and 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 the systematic way to bring more oxygen into your body i mean it, it the practice works so anyway i was doing that and it was really like a big part of my life and then my niece was born and even though I was writing these songs about drummers and stuff and touring or whatever, I just was obsessed with my niece. And she'd be like, Michaela song, Michaela song, that song for me. And, and it was like, no, Aspiring Angel is about this guy who like dumped me on my last trip to Chicago, but whatever, you know what I mean? And she would twirl and dance. And I was so taken with her and she was the best fan I ever had. And I loved it. I just was like obsessed with her. And I just started, and a friend of mine had gotten a record deal for kids around that time. And he suggested like, and I was like, you know, I feel like I could, I could like write more songs for her. And I just sort of became this singer songwriter for kids, like kind of taking all of my world, you know, and becoming a singer songwriter for kids. And it was so natural. Like, you know, I written, I mean, I could write, I wrote Hey Ducky in an afternoon, which became like our Hey Jude, but I had written hundreds of songs before I wrote a song for kids. You know what I mean? Like I was always chasing the song. So it was so much easier to just be like, oh, well, Hey Ducky, you know, five little duckies swimming in a row, you know, whatever. Um, but it was very fun. Um, and, um, and then I was doing that for a while and doing very well. And I was always doing, incorporating a lot of movement anyway. I instinctually knew that songs shouldn't be played at kids songs should be played with children and it should be very interactive so our shows were really really interactive but what was happening was we had this like kindy movement all of a sudden where like all these like kindy mus musicians so we called it like independent kids musicians and at at first it was like a really wonderful place but it just got like 900 kindy musicians for like one booking agent or something like that. Like it was just getting so much and everyone and their mother had a kid's band all of a sudden. And people started to like specialize. Like this one became like bluegrass for kids and this one did rap for kids and this, you know, and I'm like, well, I mean, I that song singer songwriter still for kids, but like no one's really the kids yoga girl. Like I know so much about yoga. Let me do that, you know? And at first, um, I used to keep, I always, this is like a famous story that I share famous, like in my world, but um, I was singing for kids and I was now teaching yoga because I had done trained so much that I was certified. So I got a job teaching for JetBlue Airlines, which was huge. And I literally like called JetBlue Airlines to get that gig. Like, Hey, you know, hello, JetBlue, where would you like to jet today? You know, like literally calling 800 reservations. And I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I, I was on a JetBlue flight recently and I had a panic attack and um, I get panic attacks and your flight crew was so nice to me. And now I've been certified to teach yoga. And I thought it'd be so nice to teach yoga for them. And she's like, well, that would be our customer care division. Anyway, could you imagine doing that? And she transferred me over to like the queen's office and, and the, the, the customer care guy answered his phone. And he never, he's like, I never answer my phone. He literally answered his phone. And I was like, my name's Barry and I just got certified to teach yoga and I had a panic attack on a JetBlue flight. And you guys were so nice to me. And I was wondering, do you have a yoga team? Anyway, that started this like career at JetBlue, which was like hilarious. And so I did that for a while, but the idea was I would, I was really paranoid that JetBlue was going to Google me and find out that I sang for kids. So everything was like separate, separate, separate. And then when I did put it all together, someone said to me like that's what makes you unique your music and yoga it is like the is it's the combinations of your um interests that's what makes people interesting you know what i mean so when i put it together uh, literally my first gig was at the white house was the obama was the michelle obama yeah and the yoga garden and and it was like amazing because i was singing songs for kids yoga and who was doing that you know so it was just this whole thing that happened very, you know, and, um, and Gabby Bernstein has said before, God is my publicist. And I really, really will like share that when I was a struggling musician for artists, it was like me, 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 you know, um, like as an adult musician, 
But once I started singing for kids, and especially when I started bringing in the yoga, and then of course, what's the next extension of yoga? It's mindfulness. I mean, we couldn't even use the word meditation back then. Like I, I once did a meditation event for a corporate company and they were like, please don't use the word meditate. I'm like, okay, so this was even before everyone was using mindfulness. Like I called it relaxation. Then once mindfulness came on, and some of my yoga friends are like, oh, mindfulness, oh, you know. But once that word came up, it was actually a very helpful word because we didn't have to call it meditation. We didn't have to get into, you know, Buddhism. We didn't, you know what I mean? It was just this like, like now we don't think about it. We just think about that word. No one thinks about the origins of it. But it was, it was sort of a way to extract this like specific practice because back then everything was under the meditation yoga umbrella, you know? So once mindfulness came into, I was always doing breathing and I was doing always incorporating breathing, but once mindfulness came into the picture and you can talk about being present without sounding like a crazy person, you know what I mean? I mean, I lived in a Zen monastery, like people thought I was nuts. And, but now people are like, Oh, you lived in a Zen monastery. Will you come teach us what you know? You know what I mean? So it's like, the, I was out there ahead of the curve, one of those people that was ahead of the curve, but, but people have now, you know, really caught up. So the yoga um, really goes with the mindfulness. I always say like yoga and then mindfulness or mindfulness, you know, and then yoga, but it's like mindfulness is like the period at the end of the sentence. That's sort of how I use my curriculum. It definitely sounds like the universe had things aligned for you and each step just was like you were on the right path. The fact that your first time really doing your children's class was at the White House, you know, listeners, you can't actually see what my face looked like when she said that, but I was shocked because um, that's just such an unbelievable, like not only first time, but I think that also shows you you're doing the right thing. You're, you're obviously on the right path. Um, and you know, when we talked previously, you mentioned how like kids have always been on the forefront for you, um, professionally and also personally. And I know you went through, um, a long, um, fertility journey and you were gracious enough kind of to be willing to open and talk to listeners about that, especially given where we are as a country and women's right to have children and when they want to have children. Um, I really do appreciate you being willing to talk about that. What was that journey like for you? What was that journey like for me? You know, it's so funny because every time they restrict abortion, you, I was so uh, desperate to have a baby at that time. And I would, I think one of my first reactions I think was like, Oh, maybe I'll have a better chance <laughs> of adopting a baby because like, we were even advertising for a baby. I mean, like that's how down the rabbit hole we went, you know, and there was competition for that. And there was a lot of competition for that, you know? So, um, but for me, it started, I was very on the fence actually about having children. I was working with children. I was working at a preschool. My whole curriculum came from that 120 kids a week for eight years. I mean, I just had kids coming out of my ears. I had my, I was an aunt with a car seat, you know, so I was really on the fence. And when I actually got pregnant the first time I was crying and my husband, who's also very career or oriented said, this isn't fair. You, you know, you've been working so hard on your career and you finally are getting somewhere. He literally said, it's not fair. <laughs> that was his reaction to me getting pregnant. So I remember like calling a friend thinking my life is over and she's like, very successful people have children all the time. You know what I mean? She's like, you're going to have nine months to kind of get your career at a place or get some help or get some momentum or, you know what I mean? And you're going to be home with the baby for a little while, but it's not the end of your career and it's time to get psyched, you know? And, and I, and I also think that physically it's sort of like invasion of the body snatchers. I think that you, you're just, you're, insides and hormones just take over and now it becomes this like this priority so so over the course of eight or nine weeks and it, it's incredible how fast you can change you know you talk about like changing your brain like it it happened fast you know i just went from like don't think i want to do this to like wow this is so beautiful um lost the baby so you know lost the baby at nine weeks and then you know 
so tragic, so sad. And then I just became like a crazy person, like must have baby, must have baby. Like all of a sudden there was this hole that never was there before. And um, I, you know, Abraham Hicks talks about this a lot. The, the, um, the sadness at the perception that something is missing. And this all of a sudden, this feeling that something was missing. And I was aware enough and I had enough training to sort of watch that with a little bit more curiosity, but it was very strong, you know? So I had to work very hard to, um, to not feel like something was missing, but I felt like something was missing a lot that I never felt before. So it was like this, it was sort of like the universe had placed this wish in me and now taken it away. So now the wish was there, but the, you know, so um, my husband and I kept trying and, and it put pressure on him, right? All of a sudden you're just used to have sex for fun. Now it's like, let's put a baby in her. You know what I mean? And we had a few issues that never came up before because it was, you know, some pressure around it. Um, and I did get pregnant again. And I was like, okay, great. And went to the same doctor and he's like, your numbers look great. I think it was 42 at the time, you know, and then same thing, nine weeks, no baby, you know what I mean? So now two times in a row and um, really horrible. And we, I think at that point I was during Hurricane Sandy, I was somewhere and I saw a child and somebody had advertised for the child. And I thought at the time, oh my God, this is the sign this is the sign. I got the name. I'm like, this is what we're going to do. And, and I had to, um, you know, come up with $500 a month, which was a ton of money at the time to advertise in these papers, you know, and, um, I got a call. I mean, it took a while, it took seven months, but I got a call and this woman was seven months pregnant, leaking embryonic fluid and already had eight kids. Yeah. And she lived in, and so it's like, you know, you're trying to get pregnant. This one is like on number nine, you know, and they all, this is like, this is really who the abortion is going to hurt the most. Like, this is what is so screwed up about this whole thing. She already lives in like a trailer park. They're already on food stamps or whatever. You know, one child has already been given up and now she's pregnant and saw my ad and called me. And I was on the phone with her for two months and she decided to keep the baby. So she kept the baby and I was like, the universe is like, I don't know what the universe is saying to me, but it is like, you know, it is just like, I, we just tabled this, this is a disaster. This is clearly not gonna work and it's just gonna be a disaster. So then um, I, I gave up temporarily, you know what I mean? I gave up for a year, whatever it was. And then I was at a party and I saw a woman and she was pregnant and she was older than me. And I'm like, how the heck did you get pregnant? And she said, new hope. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like a sign from the universe. Like, this is it. This, like, I could just feel like the amygdala trained for opportunities. I'm like, this is it. This is it their egg donor, like, I'm going to, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to get the money. I don't know where the money is going to come from, but I'm going to do, I am going to get this. And I spoke to a friend of mine who did egg donor. She won it. And like, she was like, I just knew I was going to get the money. Like she, we were rooting each other on and I begged, borrowed steel. I, whatever. I, I finally, I got the money. We got four eggs fertilized. They put the first one in me. I walked in there and like, it was green lights and like the whole thing was so spiritual and so beautiful. And I'm like, I know I'm going to get pregnant and I got pregnant and you have like a 95% chance of caring or something like that. And I got pregnant. I'm like, I knew it. And I knew this was it. And it was like, thank God. And nine weeks later, lost the baby, lost the baby, 95% chance. Let me tell you something. Anyone that tells you you have a 95% chance is fucking bullshit. So after basically giving up my career because I just wanted to give this egg donor thing a real shot, you know what I mean? So I just like kind of was like, I just have to like rest my body and I have to chant and I have to, you know, and I knew after that. And then the next egg didn't take and the next egg didn't take and the next egg didn't take and nothing took. And, um, I couldn't drink wine for a year, you know, can't eat chocolate, can't eat sugar, whatever the hell you're trying to do to get pregnant. So now you're like, you know what I mean? You're just, and my mother said, my sister has MS 
and she's really sick. My mother's like, your sister is sick. And it's like, you are like suffering. Like you're sick. It's like, you're making yourself sick, you know? And I'm like, I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know what else to do. I just, the universe keeps showing me these things. And like, I really thought I was supposed to advertise and I really thought I was supposed to, you know, mortgage our house and like get an egg donor. Like, I don't know where the stupid baby's coming from. Like I already aged out of like a baby from China. Like I just didn't, where the heck is this thing coming from? You know, I looked at foster care and my husband not motivated, you know, and I gave up at that moment temporarily because it was really hard to, to totally give up my dream. I'm almost getting to the end of the story, but I went and had a bottle of wine with a couple who I didn't know very well. And I only said something because they wanted to buy this like shitty bottle of wine, but like I hadn't drank in a year. So I'm like, you know what? I want to get a decent bottle. And I finally told them why. And she's like, really? I had two children from egg donors 15 years ago. And like, I didn't even have like an ovary or whatever the hell. And I just was like, I literally was like, fuck you, fuck you. I am net, fuck you. I left the restaurant and I looked up at the world and I was like, did I miss something? Did I cause myself this misery? Like, I'm so confused. I had so many opportunities. I've led a great life. Why am I making myself miserable? Like, I don't understand. And um, I just had to like, just give up for, at, again, like in my mind, never giving up totally, but and now I had like no career because I had no dates on the calendar. I had like nothing. And I thought to myself, all right, Barb, we went, it was like one of those moments again, Mallory, like we got to be friends with ourselves. And it's like, okay, Barry, what is our plan? Why don't we become, there's no baby. Why don't we become like the kids yoga music, like superstar? What would that look like? What would she do? What would she do? What would her calendar be like? What would her career be like? What would her fees be like? you know, what kind of book would she write? Let's just be her. Let's just do, let's just do this very. And I focused on that. And very quickly, that's where it all, you know what I mean? And I boo, 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 dates on the calendar, do, 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 kids, yoga, music, star, TV show, da, 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 da. And then a year later, I'm at a bar and I see a friend of mine and she is ashen face that her two nieces who were at the time eight and nine, or no, eight and eight, they're twins, hello, were being rescued from this crazy screwed up situation and they were en route to Woodstock where I lived. And ultimately that's a whole other episode, but those became my kids. Wow. Um, my heart breaks for that other, for the versions of you going through that because I have watched friends, one of my good friends, him and his wife tried for nine years, fertility, everything. Uh, they finally had to do a donor egg and a surrogate and they were able to um, have a daughter. He, he was like, I know how I feel, like my wife feels even worse. And I think for women, we take it on when women are like, oh, it, it worked for me. It's like, oh, it's, it's not that hard. Or you hear men say like, oh, your body's meant for it. And it's like, just shut up. You have no idea what the pressure we put on ourselves or how we feel or, you know, to lose not only one, but three miscarriages having that. I am, thank you for sharing. I guess that's all I can say. Like, it's just, thank you for sharing your story. Cause um, I think a lot of women can relate, but there's that shame around it that they just don't talk about it, but they carry it. Um, I'm so happy though, that you have your daughters. How old are they now? Well, I mean, now they're two monsters. They're 13 and a half, you know? And I always say like, they bring a teenager to the fertility clinic. You know what I mean? Like, that's the other thing too, you, and, and that is a lot of my advice. And I try to do this and I'm a spiritual person and it was hard. But like, you have to enjoy your life, right? Even as a single person, you want to be single, like you want to be married, you know? There are amazing things about being married, but there are fun things about being single too, you know? And there, there are fun things about not having children too, you know? And there's ways to mother. And, and I know it's not the same, and I do feel much more complete being a mother. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of people become parents, and then their lives get pretty uh, complicated, 
you know, and a, and a lot more complicated are the relationships. You know what I mean? It doesn't solve all your problems. That's for darn sure, you know? So, um, and I just think that's really important in the struggle that it's, you you know, this sort of awareness, like through that struggle. And I really did try to, to be aware, but um, because we're suffering, uh, but then parents are suffering. Parents suffer all the time. Parents suffer from postpartum depression. Parents, you know, mothers, parents suffer from parenting. Parents suffer from the relationship breaking down. Parents suffer from um, problems that their children are going through. You know, I started taking some attachment parenting workshops once I had the girls. And there was a lot of suffering people in that room who were all parents. So, so I'll just remind anyone out there that suffering is not just reserved for the women that are trying to get pregnant, you know? Um, however, you know, and I think people are sensitive to it now. It was shocking to me that that girl woman said that because I, I just don't think most, I think people are sensitive. Most people would be very sensitive and there is sort of a tribal woman that kind of has each other's back around this. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there's, it's very painful. You know, my dad always says that as a parent, you're only as happy as like your least happiest child. And I know uh, my brother's a type one diabetic. He fell into a diabetic coma overnight camp and overnight changed his life. And uh, he's considered a fragile diabetic. So his immune system is shot. And my brother's been in and out of the hospital. His blood sugar is always up and down no matter what he does. And it's hard for me at the age I'm at now, knowing at some point I do want to have kids watching how my parents worry about him and parent. And, you know, they constantly say being a parent's not easy. Having kids is not easy. And just cause we're almost raised to say like, you go to college, you got a job, you get married, you have kids. You need to understand what that means. And also what comes with that. Well, I think to me, part of, again, like the good part about the struggle is I think it was Albert Einstein that said there are two kinds of people in the world. Those that think nothing is a miracle and those that think everything is a miracle. And because of how hard one, this whole thing was, and, and also they had an extraordinary journey to get to me too. They lost both their parents. I mean, think about why children need to be adopted. I mean, that's its own, right. But everything, I look at everything as a miracle, like even the challenging bits or, you know, I never really, I was really off the hook when they came to me. I didn't have to worry about school or it was all social, emotional. I mean, all the idea was just to get through the day. I mean, they had been so traumatized, just like they couldn't read, they couldn't write. They could, I mean, there was just no pressure, you know? And so I think um, one of the best things that I learned in that attachment course was that your parents should just be focusing on attachment. That's really, that's really it. You know what I mean? So that, that the, I mean, yes, you want to guide your child, you want to discipline your child in, in, in loving ways, but like that, that, that child opens up to you that, you know, um, you can't protect them from everything. You just, you can't, you know, and, and I mean, one day I'll be gone. I mean, but they'll be gone. You know what I mean? What can we do? Like, we're all just here temporarily, you know, college, like, I don't know. I don't even know if they'll be a flipping college. Like I, I don't, we have, we have the internet now. I mean, I, how can anyone be super worried about these things? You know, what you want for me, you know, you want a happy adjusted, um, I mean, they might be going to the moon when they get older. I just want them to like not panic and not be anxious and to enjoy their time on earth what, and, be, and to play and to have a roof over their heads and all of that. But and I, think so, that's a, I, don't know. I think that's a good segue to your new book, Rocket Ship Yoga, an out of this oh. world kids yoga journey for breathing, relaxing and mindfulness. And I read the book. Um, my mom's actually a peds nurse and I brought it to her and showed it to her and she sat and read it and was like, this is amazing. Um, and I have a lot of friends in the yoga community in Chicago and I'm excited to share it with them, but can you talk a little bit about this book? Sure. Well, rocket ship yoga is really fun because I've never had a book before my kids yoga songs or like, so like I have a lot of songs for yoga and then I always have to be like, well, how do you know that it's a bear in a tree? What's tree? How do you know that the bear's in the boat? What's a boat pose? You know, now people know, but they didn't always know what's slide pose, what's cheer pose, you know? 
So it's always like the songs and the yoga and you're always like showing them and, da, 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 da. and it's so much fun. But now rocket to yoga, it's just, Oh, just open the book, you know? <laughs> so like, it's all there. Um, so I, this is a, um, a trip to outer space doing your yoga poses. So you're in child's pose and you're in snake pose and you're in plank pose. But for your child, it's like, I wanted to be a pilot ever since I was a child. And in your snake pose, I would gaze at the stars looking from Mars. And you can, you know, take some breaths here. It'll show you that. And in your plank pose, I could fly a big rocket and go far into orbit. You're still doing yoga, but you're doing this like space journey. Um, and it's really fun. And you don't even realize that you're like exercising. You know, it's like the joy and the benefits, the joy and the benefits, the joy and the benefits. That's sort of my ammo there. Um, and there's mindfulness in here. You know, you're doing rocket ship breath. You're doing star energy, which is one of our favorite activities where you grab a star out of the sky and you like put your hands together and you feel the heat of your star. Um, so, and, and you could, you know, you can go through it kind of fast. You can go through it kind of slowly. You can level up for older kids and just really take three to five breaths in each pose. So it's just this outer space, space adventure. And I got to, um, do it recently for six classrooms in a row and it just worked like a charm from preschool to nursery to first grade and second grade you know what i mean you just like you just got to stretch it out more and more as it you know and you, everyone's doing yoga and you just you just open the book so that was really my idea to write a book that you do not just a book that you read you know that everybody can be active and it worked like the songs work i mean the songs work that's why i i've had a successful career so this works like a song but it's a book so yeah it's been fun and listeners will post uh the book and the links to her youtube page both in the listening notes for this episode as well as on our instagram on various posts um but barry before we go uh this week we had another school shooting and when i am on social media and i'm reading or listening from videos of people talk about how um, one that really touched me, I'm getting chills thinking about it, was it was a child psychiatrist talking to students and the student said, you know, my mommy's sad because of what's going on, but I told her not to worry because we practice for when this happens. We practice hiding for when a bad guy comes into it, not if, but when. And the woman talking about this broke down. I just was gutted. And you see more and more of this. I remember as a student, tornado drills and fire drills. But now this is a drill. And this is something that kids are practicing. And their kids aren't stupid. They know that this is why. And the fear and anxiety that I think we're going to see coming from younger generations. We haven't even come close to understanding the impact, but for parents who are listening, what can they do to help with the mindfulness for their kids? If they do have anxiety or are scared or nervous. So this is a great question. I think the first thing to do is to really acknowledge the feelings, you know, um, and the amygdala too, it is, its job is to protect and when you're not acknowledging it, the amygdala is like, wait, wait, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, you know what I mean? So you definitely want to acknowledge and be like, I hear that, I hear that. Yes, that would be, you know, and having conversations, um, a friend of mine with his daughter, he, the father was crying and his daughter, who's nine, was like, Dada, why are you crying? And he said, I can't imagine what it would be like to be one of those parents. I can't imagine what it would be like to lose you. And she said at nine years old that the world was a beautiful and cruel place. That's what she said at nine. And she said, and he said, I wanna be with you today. Do you have any tests? And she said, no. And he said, why don't we spend the day together? Why don't you not go to school? And she's like, what can we do to make ourselves feel better? What can we do to make you feel better? And so they, they, made, they literally wrote a list, like go to the beach, read a book, watch a movie, go out to lunch. And they went and they did all those things. And, and it's, it's a real, that I really got chills about that. You know, it's, it's a real conversation. Um, our children 
I mean, this shooting is one thing. Look at COVID. Why are they wearing masks? A, a million people died in the U.S. alone. You know, people, they have lost people that they know, you know, and they're not stupid, you know, and they're, they're reading up on all these things. And it is extraordinary that we are training children to hide at school. Like the, the, the people don't think that's like a sickness I, in America. There's, you know, and I, I'm so glad that, you know, in a way it, it's the, you know, we keep chipping away at this and we keep thinking like, oh gosh, nothing is going to change. Nothing's going to change. But I think actually, I don't remember having this dialogue as much that we are training our children to be afraid at school and we're training our, you know what I mean? We lock the doors, we close the windows, we, you know, and it's like, I think in a way we were sort of doing it without really commenting on it. I mean, I'm sure some people were, but now we're all like, what the, what sickness, what the heck are we doing? You know? So I think from that, hopefully, some change will come. But one thing that you hear sometimes is when you are afraid to acknowledge the fear and to um, fall into like a gratitude, like even for example, my, you know, my kids, Tuli has lost her mother and her father. So she is afraid of losing her twin sister. And when she says that to me, I can't say to her, you're never going to lose your twin sister. You're never, I mean, I, I can't say that. You know, and I will say to her, that is scary. And I could see why you would be afraid of that. That would make sense. But right now we're safe. And where can you orientate yourself to right now? I mean, they do this with people that have um, had near death experiences, you know, that are you know, like how you're and you survived and you're here. Where can you orientate yourself? What color is that tree? What is happening on the pond, you know, um, my child psychologist sort of talks that way as well. So coming back into the present, um, because, and this is not the case for Texas, it is tragic. It is absolutely tragic. But the truth about life is that most of the time, what we are afraid of is not actually happening in this particular moment. It could happen, it could, and it did happen, right? But most of the time it is not happening in this moment. A lot of us act like it is, you know, we, our bodies react like it is. So orientating ourselves back into space. But, um, you know, I really, really hope that there, that there is some change from this and um, it's, it's, it's a sickness. We are sick. We are very sick. Yeah. Country. Yeah. And I think that what I love the work that you're doing is with mindfulness, with moving, um, your work allows kids to feel empowered and strong and confident and feel good. And I think it's, those are great building blocks for them, hopefully to become more empathetic and kind individuals and stand up for each other. And there's a thousand ways you can take what happened. People are talking about mental illness and bullying and this, that, and everything else. And everything plays a part. But what I love about um, the kids yoga journey and talking about mindfulness at such young age, I hope that they're learning to communicate how they feel more or their needs or wants. And then to those that they are communicating, kids will be like, okay, or understand instead of that, making them feel bad. Oh, kids can be mean to each other. And we all know that. But what I love is that this is really teaching them how to be mindful and to communicate, hopefully, more effectively. The Dalai Lama said, if every eight-year-old was taught mindfulness and meditation, there would be no violence in the world, you know, um, and that's a big part of it is compassion. And, you know, I see that my children are being raised at a school, you know, of citizens and they get to really hold the space of, I feel good today. I don't feel good today. I, you know what I mean? Um, and really, really working on that. But, um, but a lot of a lot of compassion and acceptance and um, and better out than in and talking about things and having people to go to and having support. I mean, a lot of schools now have mental wellness people. We never, I never grew up with this. I mean, it's just, 
I mean, and conservative states too, I'm working with some of them, you know, and they have funding, you know, for mental wellness getting into, I mean, this is, this is some of the work that, um, that is good that we can try to do. Yeah. Well, before we go into the final three questions, I just want to thank you so much. You have been so lovely to speak with and so open and vulnerable about your past experiences. And I really appreciate you talking about them because I know they're not always easy, but, um, you know, I hope that through this conversation, others can learn from it. And if they're going through something to know that, you know, it does get better or feel like they're not alone if they have experienced anything similar to what you have as well. Um, the first question that we always end every episode with is if you had a quote or a mantra that you live by, what would it be? Um, probably it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I say that a lot. I said that to COVID during COVID, like literally every day, like it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I love it. Um, the second one is if you could relive any one day, which day would you pick? Probably this one. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I really do. That is a good question. Maybe my wedding, because I was a little, um, feel like I could do a better job with it. Yeah. Or maybe one of the pregnant days. I don't know. Okay. Um, if you had a theme song that played every time you walked into a room, which song would you choose? Um, there could be lots of songs, but I think I'm going to choose the Pharrell just to cloud away because we've been listening to that a lot. And the, and it just has such a happy, you know, what are the rainy day, da, 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 you know, the sun is just a cloud away, it's way, way. And it's fun. So I'm going to say that one. Great. So I will add that to the For Your Listening Pleasure Spotify playlist so listeners can listen to your theme song along with all the other guests. Um, Barry, again, thank you so much. This has been so lovely. And I'm excited for everyone to, if they have kids, to um, get Rocket Chip Yoga. It would make a great birthday gift. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mallory. It was a pleasure. <laughs>